Good morning. For those of you that uh, may be new to the church or are watching this online, I just want to introduce myself. My name's Oliver Taylor. I'm a member of the preaching team here at Grace Vineyard, and I'm really glad that you were able to join us this morning. We've been going through the Book of Acts uh, as a church, um, and today uh, we're going to be covering uh, Acts 12, which is about uh, the Apostle Peter's uh, miraculous escape from prison. So just before we get started, I'd just love to, to pray for everyone who's watching. So let's start there. Father God, we thank you that you are with us, that you help us, that in these times of strangeness and uncertainty, that you go with us um, in our lives, that everywhere we go you are with us and everything we do you help us with. And I just pray Lord that you would send your Holy Spirit to help me to speak your word today, that it would be alive and vibrant and useful and that the people who come and the people who listen and the people who watch now or, or later would would take something from this, that they would take something that is useful for them and something that brings them closer to knowing the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Right, so let's get straight into it. Um, so we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 12, starting at the first verse, if you wanted to follow along. And I'll just... Uh, start reading it out and, and hopefully those of you who want to follow along will um, find Acts 12 soon and uh, join me. <clears throat> About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword and when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of um, unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of guards to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure 
that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realised this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognising Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. And that's where we're going to leave Acts 12. We are living in a time of waiting. In the ultimate sense, we are waiting for Jesus's return. And while we're doing that, we've been commanded to be his hands and feet in this world. To continue the mission that he started and his disciples continued, which we are reading about in the book of Acts. Now, a big part of waiting is anticipation. In the world that we have around us, there is a lot of anticipation and a lot of questioning. When is this going to end? Is there going to be another lockdown? Am I going to have a job to go to? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? Am I or my family going to get sick? One of the reasons that we do this to ourselves is that we look around and we see and we hear and we worry about things that are happening to other people. And we wonder whether it's going to happen to us. There has never been a more important time to have a good understanding of who God is and what he means for our lives. By that, I don't mean that as Christians, God is going to spare us from all hardship in this life. He certainly didn't spare Jesus from it. And Romans 8 tells us that if we share in his suffering, we share in his glory. So we shouldn't seek to be completely unaffected by what is going on around us. Nor should we believe that these things are entirely random and God has not considered us or how they might affect us. So what should we believe? Well, in verse 2 and 3 we read, He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Here we have two disciples, James and Peter. One was killed and one was sent to prison. What should we think about that? About the fact that the whole chapter is dedicated to Peter and James gets an incredibly brief eulogy that lasts one sentence. Almost every commentary that you would care to look at tells us 
that we shouldn't think that there was any particular difference between Peter and James. That Jesus did not love one more than the other, that one was not punished and the other rescued. We are pointed back to Matthew chapter 20, where the mother of the two sons of Zebedee come to ask Jesus for a favour, that in his kingdom one would sit at his left and one at his right. Well, that day Jesus told James that things would happen this way. So what should we think? What should we take away from this? Well, we shouldn't think that we are going to be unaffected by the things that are going on around us because Jesus has made us part of the world that he is trying to save. But we shouldn't worry about what is going to happen to us because the things we face are not random. We shouldn't think we are doing well or poorly because of how we are managing compared to other people or what we have been afflicted with. The truth is that your life story is not shared by anyone else, not by friends or family or people on the street or people on the news. You cannot look at anyone else and predict what your life will look like. Only God knows. He has all the answers because he wrote them. He knows what you are going to face and he has prepared you for them. He has given you all that you need to overcome. Only he has the authority to keep you here and only he has the authority to call you home. That is the encouragement that is there for us. That whatever may come to pass, we know that it is by God's plan and by God's authority. He is in control. That is the truth. God is in control. And that is a comfort for us because we know him. But out there in the world, there are people who don't know God. And at this time and place, the world is filled with frightened people. We are living in a time where we are seeing the worst of people because they are afraid. They are afraid because like us, they see that they are not in control. They look around them and they see people getting sick, people losing their jobs, people losing their homes, and it does look random. They see that someone or someone else is in control of their lives and they don't know who it is or what it is and they don't like it. I said it earlier, there has never been a more important time to have a good understanding of who God is and what he means for our lives. This is the new mission field. The whole world is united against a common enemy, a common fear. This pandemic has shown people who perhaps have never even thought about God that they have a fundamental need for him because there are things that they are facing that are far beyond their control. Yet, at the same time, the world is changed. We can't continue to disciple people in the same way anymore. We need to preach the gospel by showing people why, despite everything that's going on, everything we see on the news, why we don't feel powerless.
We need to have a good answer to the question of suffering for ourselves. We need to be able to tell people when we face trials and suffering how and why we can still trust God and believe in his good for us. We need to have authentic witness to people. We need to make sure that we're not sanitising the struggles in our life or trying to make ourselves look serene through our battles. We need to show people that we are not so different, that we experience the same uncertainty and anger and distress, but that we can take all our ugliness and we can bring it before God knowing that he will not turn us away. Love is not something that can be told or explained. It needs to be experienced. So our mission in this season has to be to show God's trustworthiness. And how do we do that? Well, we show people that we experience the same uncertainties and fear and anger, but we don't need to turn it to drugs or alcohol or gossip or slander or coldness or self-harm or pornography or to apathy, but we can turn it over to God, knowing that he has promised that he will never send us away, that he will always hear us and he will always help us, and he is always with us. We are all prisoners, and this is a time of prison ministry, where within the four walls of the prison, we can build relationships that can truly change lives, not through false promises nor wishful thinking, but through the truth and the evidence of God's work in our lives. So back to Peter. He was thrown in jail, and from reading the passage, we can tell that the Romans were taking no chances. There were four squads of soldiers guarding him, and even while he slept, there was a soldier on each side. Now, one of the things about prison is that any semblance of privacy is lost. You can be seen in every moment. There is no escape from it, and there is no escape from the people that you are in prison with. While we haven't been in prison during lockdown, we have experienced that same loss of mobility. Suddenly, where people previously spent most of their lives outside, or at work, or wherever it might be, they are confined to their house a voluntary house arrest, if you will. And some may have been shocked who they have been put in house arrest with. Couples and families have been put into this pressure cooker where they no longer have any time apart and it really has put relationships under strain. In many ways, Sarah and I have been really lucky throughout lockdown that we have both been able to keep working Apart from a change in venue, I would say that our work has continued in a very similar fashion to before lockdown. Yet, we have still had our moments of friction. Particularly in the early days of lockdown, when there was so little to do, Sarah and I would clash 
And I think that we both couldn't wait for lockdown to be over and for things to return to normal. The first lockdown may now be over, but things still haven't returned to normal. Somewhere along the way, I think we realised that we had a choice. We could either try to wait lockdown out, or we could take advantage of the time that we have together to try to understand each other better, to build on the relationship that we have. And what in the beginning began with reading together, going on walks together, doing jigsaws together, in some ways, just to fill the time, became more than just waiting out lockdown and realising that God was giving us something, not taking something away. <clears throat> and I'm not making the point that we did something right in this. Actually, what I want to say is um, that the whole situation with our work and how the pandemic impacted us was not random chance. But I think it was a part of the tapestry that God had designed for us, for our lives. By the time that Peter was rescued, he was so at ease with his time in prison that he was simply asleep. So asleep that the angel had to strike him on the side and he had to get dressed before he left. We need to be at peace with our time in prison, comfortable with the situation that we're in, no matter what that situation is. In some of Jesus's last moments on the cross, he has an exchange with the criminals that he has been crucified with. One of the criminals insulted him, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are all punished justly for what we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Finally, he added, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responds, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This exchange, one commentary says, no strengthening angel could have been more welcome to the dying Redeemer than these words of intense penitence and strong faith. It is a reminder to us that even in the depths of our struggles, God give up, gives us grace to help others. And it's through that relationship that we are given the strength to endure. And I think that we can be confident that while Peter was in prison, while the whole church was praying for him, he was praying for the church. The only way we can become comfortable in every situation is for us to realise that in every situation there is something that we can be doing and something that we should be doing. Paul reminds us in Philippians to not be anxious about anything 
but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's not easy though, and if I look back on my own life, I see those moments when I was struggling to find peace in a difficult situation. Sometimes it's because of pride. Perhaps we can't believe that we are struggling to the extent that we are. It's difficult to reach out to others because we want to prove that we can sort it out ourselves. Sometimes it's because of guilt. Perhaps we don't want to be a burden to someone else. And we think that this is our problem that we need to deal with. Sometimes it's because of confidentiality. Perhaps we are overwhelmed by something that's happening to someone in our life. But it also affects others and perhaps it's not our place to discuss it with someone. Sometimes it's because of isolation. Perhaps there really isn't something that we can, someone that we can talk to about a situation. Or you don't know who you can talk to about it. Just over a year ago, Sarah lost a pregnancy. It's a topic that's not often discussed in polite conversation, and I think among men even less frequently. It's something that I've spoken about before at church, but definitely I think one of those things where I do genuinely struggle to find someone to talk about it sometimes. And the consequence of that has been that I haven't been focused on relationship in that situation. And I'll freely admit that there has been an aspect of bitterness that has developed in me, a kind of ugliness that brought with it an anger that at times has been directed at everyone I know. My failure to focus on relationship in this situation has extended the time that I was in that emotional place, limiting my resilience and making me less able to participate in sharing the love that God has for his people. It is my greatest desire to take hold of that grace that God makes available for people who are in trouble, to see God redeem what happened to us and to use it for good and for him to strengthen me by helping others. And I do see that starting to happen. But I am so sure that I have taken the hard road in this. Sometimes we just have to let it go and to give a sign to God that we are ready to be rescued. When um, Peter was broken out uh, of jail by, by the angel, he thought that he was dreaming. He thought it was a vision of some kind. If Peter had imagined a, mirac a miraculous escape from prison, I wonder whether he would have imagined something involving exploding shrapnel and gates being blown off their hinges, a battle ensuing with the soldiers as he scurries after an angel, smoke billowing through the prison as they left. It's perhaps not a huge surprise. 
Peter was being guarded by four squads of Roman soldiers. But when he was rescued, his chains fell off. He got dressed and simply walked out of the jail by following the angel. It must have seemed all a bit too easy. But then there is something unbelievable about God's solutions to our problems. Have you ever had a moment in your life where things seemed desperate and you seemed so convinced that the problems were unsurmountable and that only a Herculean effort from the Almighty could set things right? In this situation, many people turn to God. They will pray for themselves to be taken out of that situation and their prayer is answered. But their prayer is answered in a way that perhaps they never expected. Perhaps in a way that makes it seem like their problems weren't really problems at all. Was it a miracle? Was the prayer answered? Or did we simply misread the situation? Maybe things weren't as bad as we thought they were. It is surprisingly easy for us to dismiss answers to prayers simply because they didn't happen in the way that we thought they would, if God were really listening. When we are facing trouble, it is easy to convince ourselves that God doesn't care about us, or God isn't doing anything to help us, because he is not helping us in the way that we want it. Prayer is so important in our relationship with God because it allows God to draw our attention to things that he is working on in our life. Sarah and I have had a prayer life that has looked very different at different points through our relationship. But one of the most effective things that we have done was to write down our prayers in a journal. I say that it is effective in, in the sense that it allows you to see all the prayers that God is answering, whether you remember them or not. So how many was he answering? Well, I think we had written down perhaps 20 to 30 different things that we were waiting for God to be involved in. And I think that when we look back on those 20 to 30 things, almost all those situations had improved with some of those situations being transformed in such a way that it was hard to imagine ourselves even praying for the situation. That is how far that things had moved. Now, that took time, and in some cases, ongoing and enduring prayer. But when we look back, only a year or two, we can see that God was working. When we are afflicted, when we are suffering, when we are experiencing a trial, there is always a danger of becoming embittered by it. To ask of God and to question, why are we facing this? The most powerful weapon we have in those situations, and arguably our only weapon against becoming bitter, is our thankfulness to God. 
which is then incumbent on our ability to see God working for good and thanking him for it. The New Testament is full of reminders not to forget what God has done for us. Even the Ten Commandments contain that command to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Once Peter was out of jail, despite the fact that an angel had just rescued him, he took the time to remember God. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. It may seem so obvious to us as to be superfluous, but the moment it was clear what God had done, he thanked God so that he would remember. Peter didn't then contemplate what he would do next. As soon as he thanked God, he went to where the people had gathered to pray. An important part of, about recognising God's work in our life is having an understanding, not just what we are being rescued from, but where we are being sent to. I think that is one reason why we don't always recognise what God is doing. Because when we seek his help, we are looking for him to fix the problem we have by taking us back to the point before it happened. The course of our life has taken, has been designed by God. And we need to make sure that we don't make the mistake of thinking that the struggles we face are unexpected roadblocks. They're not. They're situations that God is going to use to bring us forward and not send us back. Peter knew exactly where he was going when he got out of prison. He didn't have a sit down and declare, gosh, how glad he was that it was all finally over and trying to remember what he was doing before he got arrested. No, he moved forward. And as we face the struggles in our own life, as we face the constant changes of COVID-19, we need to do the same. As a church, we have been searching for a new normal, seeking to understand what God wants us to do through and post COVID-19. And it's my prayer and my hope that we wouldn't just be holding out and waiting for it all to be over, only to go back to how our lives were before. And in the end, whether things stabilise or whether we face another national lockdown, we need to recognise that the world is changed, that we need to find a new way to reach the lost and share the love of Jesus. And when people ask you, what God means to you, and I think that they will, because God is using this crisis to give people a searching spirit. I think when they ask you, we need to have an answer to the question of suffering, which is personal and speaks to our own experience and relationship with God. And we need to have that answer because Everyone is facing something different. Everyone is struggling 
in one way or another. With some it may be very obvious, with some it may be very hidden. But there will be a come a time when there is an opportunity to share with people why a relationship with Jesus makes a difference in your life. And we need to be ready for it and to seize it. And for me, what I think it means is being able to say that believing in God is believing that he has made us a part of this world and not separate from it. It's believing that what is happening is not random and his plans for us aren't disrupted by COVID. It's believing that God is using this crisis to show that people have a deep need for a relationship with Jesus believing that there is no one like us and by that I don't mean Christians I mean you and me people as individuals and God wants a relationship with us he has a whole heart just for me and for you it's also believing that we are not just meant to endure the pains of these situations but to support and be supported by others in our community. It's believing that we will come through this and that we will be closer to each other and closer to God because of how we respond to this situation. But if there is one thing I want you to take away from this message. It is that your life is of great value to God. That he knows you and he loves you. And he wants you to know who he is. To be in relationship with you. So that in every way you may know his love for you. Father, I just pray that you would be in our hearts, that you would be revealing and showing to us your love for us. And I pray that we would not go directly to questioning and wondering what, what God is, what you are wanting from us, but that we would just be able to receive that love and see that we have a need for that relationship with Jesus. We have a need for, for your love to mend and to heal before we can do anything. And I just pray that everyone on this day who, who hears this, who, who reads it, who sees it, I just pray that they would be blessed. And we pray all this in the name of the living Lord Jesus. Amen.